Well, good morning. It's really a privilege for me to get to be here, and I want to give you greetings from Lawndale Presbyterian Church, sister congregation up in Tupelo, and in a special way from the Worcester family who came from here up to Tupelo and has dived in with our youth program, as you'd imagine. So we're very thankful for your sending some missionaries up to help us, and anytime we want that pipeline to keep going, anytime you want to do that, we're more than willing to receive that. Um, It's a privilege for me to be here to preach bring the word to you this morning. Um, Highlands was one of the early churches that came around us as we were sensing God's call to go to Peru. And it was a real blessing for us that this local body came around us and people that had been friends of ours, a number of you are here today, and um, even mentors in the faith came around us to pray for us and support us and to send us to Peru and I also want to just thank you, uh, say thank you to Joseph, too, for uh, his encouragement and just really been an encourager to me over the last several years and also um, some good inspiration and guidance, really, in the ministry. So it's a privilege to be here. Thank you. I want to turn our attention to John chapter 20. We're going to read from verse 19 to verse 23. Just a beautiful passage. Let's hear God's word. John 20, verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews... Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace with you. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold the forgiveness from any, it is withheld. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but this good word endures forever. And thanks be to God for it. So what I want us to see is that we are a sent people. We really are, each of us, a sent people, young people and older people. We're sent. And now you mothers will be looking at me as when I say that and say, well, you don't have to tell me that. I'm sent all over Jackson. Right. As I'm preparing this sermon uh, during this week, it was almost comical. My better half, Alan, she fell and she broke her elbow And she did it hoverboarding. And you see, she's just identifying with our 11-year-old boy. It's risky to be incarnational. And she was trying to do that at the home. So she has three fractures and a dislocation. The doctor came in and said, it's the terrible triad. And I looked at him and said, well, that sounds kind of theological. So ladies, if you don't get anything else out of this sermon, no hoverboarding for you. So the point of that detour is that that's where my heart is during this week. But it was almost comical a sent people and running all over the place caring for her injury 
and realizing that really all of us feel overwhelmed with our schedules, don't we? Men, you feel the same way. Young people, we're sent in a multitude of different directions. And you may look at this as I say it to you and and have a deep sigh and say that's one more activity for us. But what I'm wanting to say from this text is I'm not adding an activity to your schedule. Or Jesus doesn't add an activity to our schedule. He speaks about our identity. We just all sent people. If we're in Christ today, he sent us into this world on mission to represent him, to continue his work, to extend the benefits of his work by word and by deed. That's just who we are. Now, our mission faculty today, we're sending them. And we say amen to that. And that's part of being a sent people is that you send to other cultures and other places as well. And yet what Jesus is telling each of us here today is to cultivate a sense of self-identity that I am sent by Jesus into this world. So we're going to look at three things based on Jesus' three words to his disciples here, an encouragement, an example, and also the equipment for it. What's our encouragement? We don't do anything unless we're motivated, do we? It's our motivation that fuels our time and our treasures. So Jesus first encourages his disciples. He first just motivates his disciples. And so the disciples behind two locked doors, the outside door to the house and the inside door to the room where they're in. The reason for this is they're afraid of the Jews. And when you think about it, wouldn't you be too? The Jews just succeeded in having Jesus crucified. And it makes perfect sense that they try to mop up the disciples as well. It's reasonable that they are afraid of the Jews inside this room. And then all of a sudden, Jesus is there. Jesus appears and stands among them. Jesus, in his resurrection body, the scars of his cross now glorified, passes through two locked doors to stand in their midst. Just as in the morning, resurrection morning, he had passed through his grave clothes. And Jesus stands in their midst and he says to them, Peace be with you. Shalom halekem. It's the customary Hebrew greeting. It's a wish or desire for God's well-being or for God's wholeness to be upon a people. But Jesus blows the roof off this greeting. He has so much more to say by it. The fact that he says it twice alerts us to this. And yet it's the context that really builds this up for us and makes this greeting life-changing. You see, three days earlier, Jesus had hung on a cross. And he became, at that cross, our sin-bearer. At the cross, he drank down the dregs of the wrath of God for us. At the cross, he was punished on our behalf. At the cross, he abandoned to judgment and hell for our sakes. And then John records Jesus crying out just before he would pass. It is finished. And that cry is not the sob of a defeated man. 
It's not the resignation of one resigned to his fate. That cry is triumph. That cry is victory. And that cry... Am I good? Okay. I have accomplished the work the Father sent me to do. It's a cry of triumph and victory and vindication. I've done it. It's the word to tell us, die, we know, that on business documents was stamped to say paid in full. It's Jesus has redeemed us at great cost to himself. That he's reconciled us from being enemies of God to being friends of God. And therefore, when Jesus appears to his disciples in that upper room on that day and says twice, peace be with you, he's telling them, I've done it. I've made the peace for you. I've dealt with your guilt and shame. You're right with God. You're dearly beloved by him. It's not a wish. It's a fact. He's giving them the gift of peace with God that he has earned for them on the cross. And you you look at this and you see Jesus's eagerness and excitement here. It's the first time he has all of his disciples assembled in the room. And the first thing he says to them is, peace be with you. And now he could look at his disciples and say something totally different, couldn't he? He could say something like, you cowards, you bailed on me. But there's no mention of their weakness or their failure. There's an announcement of grace. Sins covered and cast as far as the east is from the west. Failures not remembered. Peace declared and proclaimed to them. I've made you right with God. You're beloved by him. And the peace which God grants also enters our minds and our hearts. In the midst of fear, they have an inner calm. Jesus said that would be the case. I leave with you my peace I give you, not as the world gives. You notice their fear turns to gladness. And this peace also encompasses our world. It's a peace that works change in our relationships and in this fallen world. What Jesus is saying by peace be with you is I have inaugurated the new heavens and the new earth. He's going to tell us about this in Revelation when the new heavens and new earth descends and the old order is passed away and he wipes away all the tears from all eyes. And even in our text, we see details of this coming alive. In verse 19, when it says he rose on that day, John says that day, the first day of the week, even as in Revelation, he'll say it's the Lord's day. It's the start of the new creation. And in verse 22, when Jesus breathed disciples, the word used there is only used once in the New Testament. And it links up with Genesis 2, 7, when God forms man from the dust of the earth and he breathes into his nostrils the breath of life and man becomes a living being. And what John's saying is that Jesus is making new creations of these men and they become part of the new world that he has inaugurated by his resurrection. And they are new creations in God's new kingdom, which is even now breaking into this world. That is peace be with you. We announce a new world of love and joy and hope where guilt and shame is removed. It's a man named Marcus Marcos in a men's group that I was leading several years ago in Trujillo. And we were walking through different texts of scripture. 
And we got to Mark 6. And you remember that passage. It's when Jesus is preaching to his hometown crowd. And at first, everybody is speaking well of them. But then they start saying, wait, don't we know his mother? And don't we know his sisters? I mean, who does this guy think he is? And they start mocking him and jeering him. And as he got to that point, I noticed my friend Marcos bow his head and start weeping in front of a group of men. And we waited for Marcos to regain his composure. And then he said, years ago, he was elected mayor of his hometown. And he had worked and worked among his fellow citizens of his city to get the governor to come with his cabinet members to come for a feast. And one day they finally succeeded in having that feast prepared. And he sat on the front table before all of his fellow citizens and was eating with the governor. And it was a glorious day. And he thought everyone was enjoying themselves. And then all of a sudden he looked out and he recognized that they were jeering at him and mocking him and saying, who does he think he is? And he said, Pastor, that hurts so bad. I wouldn't wish that on anybody. Why did Jesus have to endure that? I said, Marcos, don't you see? He took all of your shame so that he could give you complete acceptance from the opinion of the person that alone really matters. And the change on Marcos' semblance was astonishing as grace came home to him, as was removed and as he recognized how beloved he was of the father and that's our motivation for mission fear is converted to gladness it's because of joy in the gospel that we desire the nations to be glad but then there's an example jesus provides us the model which is himself jesus looks at them and says as the father has sent me even so i am sending you and i count 41 times in the gospel of john in which jesus says the father has sent me 41 times he's the sent one he's the missionary mission is central to john and jesus is the true missionary now the idea being sent encompasses three things. One is there's union between the one sent and the sender. Also, there's an authority. The one sent represents the sender. And then in addition, there's humility. He's sent only to accomplish the task he's sent to do. So what we see in Jesus is that he represents the Father with all the authority of the Father to accomplish the task the Father sent for him which is our salvation. Now, how did he do it? Well, we look at Jesus, the infinite, eternal Son of God, equal in power and glory and majesty with the Father. And yet at a point in time, he became something he was not previously, meaning a man, without ceasing to be what he always was eternally, being God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. God came down. God becomes incarnate, enfleshed, to identify with us, to become one with us, to know us, to walk with us, to hear from us, to understand us, to be known us. God becomes part of the sinful culture of this world. What might that have felt to the Holy One? 
And yet God walks with us. He doesn't stay high and distant, becomes low and close. And we see how he applies that. Because John has these extended treatments of Jesus coming alongside people in need, doesn't he? The Samaritan woman, Mary and Martha in grief, the paralytic, 38 years abandoned. Jesus walks beside them. Incarnation means personal relationship. It means friendship. It means service. It means sacrifice. We see that in Jesus. And so it's overwhelming when Jesus looks at his disciples after 41 times saying the father sent the son. And Jesus looking at his disciples and saying, even so, I am sending you. And what an honor to be brought into the father-son relationship. That even as the father sent the son, even so the son sends us. It doesn't just refer to the disciples themselves. There's more people present. It refers to the church. And we have a oneness with the sender, Jesus. We walk out with his authority in his name. We have humility to accomplish the task he sent us to do. And he's our model as we continue his ministry in our world, entering into the world of others by word and deed. We don't stay aloof. We enter into the culture that God has called us to. Our mission faculty goes to other cultures around the world and they learn language and culture and the fears and the hopes and the dreams and the pitfalls and the barriers to the gospel in other cultures. We must pray for them in that process. At the same time as we are here in our communities, we are outsiders. Even as Jesus is sent from the Father, from the new heavens and new earth to this world, even so our citizenship is in Jesus' country, and we are outsiders to this culture, and we learn the hopes and the fears and the dreams and the barriers to the gospel and enter in in service and sacrifice and personal relationship to those around us. Well, in addition, he gives equipment. You just imagine the disciples and they hear Jesus sending them out, even as the Father has sent him and saying, well, who am I to do that? I'm a nobody. And in fact, I just failed royally. So how am I going to go out and be a continuation of your ministry in this world? And so Jesus, right after commissioning them, says, receive the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus at his baptism was filled with the Spirit beyond measure. And even so, he fills his disciples with the Spirit, with the resources and equipment for their ministry. Apart from the Holy Spirit, we would be undone in ministry in this world. And you remember how much attention John has paid to the Holy Spirit in John 14 through 16. He's our helper. He makes our heart the home of the Father and the Son. He's like the nourishes us and builds us up he makes what belongs to jesus ours it's because of the holy spirit that that last verse is true those whose sins are forgiven and those whose sins are not forgiven it's an enigmatic statement to us but really what it means is that as we go out into the world there are results hearts are exposed On the basis of God's word, we can promise if you trust Jesus, your sins are forgiven. If you don't trust Jesus, it's a warning that your sins remain on you. 
It's a discernment that we are given into this world as we walk out representing Jesus. Notice they're in passive tense. God does it through us. The pressure is off. It's Jesus's mission in this world. Just a few applications to close this down. First, I want to encourage us to trust that Jesus is working ahead of us. Remember, locked doors can't keep Jesus out. And closed hearts can't keep Jesus out. And he works ahead of us in this world. And that's something that we need to be encouraged by. It's his mission and we're his instruments. Second, I want to encourage us to prioritize intercessory prayer. If it is Jesus's mission, and if he is sovereignly working ahead of us, then the most important evangelistic thing you and I can do here today is ask him. I want to encourage you on behalf of your mission faculty to get serious about praying for them. The unique pressures they're under, that Jesus would open the right doors for them, that he would bless their families and their children, that you would pray systematically through your missionary faculties and the nations they're in, that you would expand your scope for what Jesus is doing in the world. Third, I want to encourage you to cultivate a heart of sympathy and self-sacrifice. It doesn't come naturally. But our Savior is a Savior with glorified scars. B.B. Warfield said, Self-sacrifice brought Christ into the world. It means entering into every man's hopes and fears and longings and despairs. It means not that we live one life, but a thousand lives, binding ourselves to a thousand souls by the filaments of so loving sympathy that their lives become ours. I want to encourage us not to lock doors, but to have them open and be entering into the world. And how are we doing with that? Do we find ourselves approaching unbelievers with more self-protection or self-sacrifice, with more hostility or sympathy? And then fourth, let me encourage us to engage in consistent small efforts. I, we tend to be perfectionists. We think if the relationship doesn't go according to plan, that I cease investing in that. Or the work doesn't render the fruit I want, that I cease engaging in it. But Jesus values small efforts. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. And finally, let me encourage you to give generously today. We get to invest in a new world coming. We get to invest in the world that Jesus inaugurated at his resurrection. We are members of the new heavens and the new earth. We know peace be with you in the core of our being. And we get to invest that lost people, eternal souls, hear this message and become members of Jesus's kingdom and know justification and adoption and glorification in their lives. Let me encourage you to invest, to give of your resources to this program of carrying the gospel to the ends of the earth. It's an investment that lasts. And might we come around the missions faculty as partners with them, teaming with them, praying for them, viewing them as a continuation of our local ministry here for Jesus's glory and the good of the lost around the world. And may God bless you for all of your labors, even up to this point, and continue to bless you into the future. Amen.